Treya, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's, it's really wonderful to have you with us. Um, thank you for having me. <laughs> pleasure. I've been looking forward to speaking to you. And for those of you that don't know Treya McClish, she's a, a specialist in helping women with microblading. We're going to learn all about that today. I'm really excited because I've seen Treya's work and I've seen people that have been losing eyebrows, which tends to happen menopause it, everything gets a little bit thin places and I've seen people come in and then the eyebrows look so natural at the end you'd honestly have to know that they had been done because I've seen the really um where you look at them and they totally look fake and they look like robot eyebrows <laughs> so how did you get into doing this because you've been in the beauty industry for quite some time now and, and you were doing events and movies commercials and things mm -hmm. like that what made you switch to doing this Treya? um so i had been doing regular makeup and hair for about 10 years and i loved it you know i did do everything you were saying like commercials advertising film and it was all a lot of fun but they were really really long days like 10-hour days minimum. Um, and where I live, my commute was at least an hour each direction, depending on where I was shooting. So I loved it, but I was hitting a point where I was feeling tired. Um, and I had been watching microblading because I wanted it for myself. I have like four eyebrow hairs and that's about it. And so I'd been watching it for myself and watching it for myself. And when it finally hit the US and started to grow here, um, I was ready for a bit of a career change and, you know, ready for something a little bit closer to home and also ready for something that just mattered more to people. You know, with what I was doing before, when I put makeup on somebody, they largely don't even care what it looks like. It's they're a model, they're an actress, they're playing the role. They know I'm going to make them look good. Um, and especially, you know, the models, they wouldn't even look in the mirror before they go because it doesn't matter to them. That's not the point. And I wanted to make more of an impact. I wanted to do something where people... Like I, I let them feel good. You know, I got that with weddings and events because I let people feel good about themselves and create an environment where they were ready to go out and face the day knowing that they felt fabulous. And so microblading felt like a logical next step since I'd been giving people eyebrows for 10 years, right? And so I went and I took a class and it was horrible. <laughs> it was a horrible class, but I loved the start that it gave me. And so I immediately jumped out went and took another class that was way better. I finally figured out how to find a good teacher, had to travel a little bit for it. Um, and I, I started there. I found a location close by and I started out with just eyebrows. And that was the beginning of everything. And now that you're doing it full time, are you doing lips, eyeshadow, eyebrows? Yes. So microblading is it's kind of the buzzword, right? It's the one that everybody knows when it comes to eyebrows, but it's only one of many types of um, brow permanent makeup that you can do. And it's actually the least suitable for most people. So microblading is good for a very small portion. You've got to be, you know, like 25 perfect skin, not overly oily, not overly dry. Like it has a lot of requirements, um, but there's also powder brows. There's nano strokes, which is the same hair strokes the microblading gives you, but with a machine and it's less traumatic to the skin. And then a combination of any of those to really create any look that you want for a client. So everybody comes in thinking they want microblading when really what they want is like a really polished, refined powder brow because they're daily makeup wearer, right? So I do all the styles of eyebrows and then I added in lip blush. So that can be super natural color on the lips where it doesn't look like you have anything on or it can be um, fuller like a lipstick style, like a soft lipstick style. 
And I added to that eyeliner as well. And so I do a couple of different styles of that. That way I'm taking care of the full face. I've also expanded into microneedling, which is an anti-aging and scar therapy treatment. And I do tattoo removal because there's a lot of bad microblading out there from other artists. <laughs> so I've turned into a pretty well-rounded suite. I thought I was just going to do it you know, part-time a couple days a week. And now it's uh, I've fully retired from regular makeup. And this is all I do. And I'm almost on year five. That's great. When people come into you, you said there's a certain type of skin. And I've read that um, the color takes differently if skin is dry and dehydrated versus people that been looking after it. So are, are there tips that people want to come in that they should be looking after themselves to get an optimal color result? You're going to get the best results on healthy skin in general. So healthy skin, like what I am looking for is definitely not overly dry. You know, a good skincare routine is crucial, um, both to preparing your skin to getting good results and in maintaining your permanent makeup to be really beautiful for years down the road. Uh, when skin is overly dry, the results can get very cool, like a little on the ashy side. Same thing if someone has too much sun exposure and they're not protecting their skin when they're outside, um, it can shift the ink colors and they can end up on the very you know cool gray side and need warming up, especially sun exposure does that. So you know, wearing your sunscreen regularly is really, really important and keeping your skin hydrated and exfoliated. You know, If you're not a person that exfoliates regularly and you have a lot of dense dead cell buildup, it's going to hide your ink, right? It's literally dead skin cells sitting on top. They're going to cover everything. And so your colors are going to look softer. Things just aren't going to look as nice. Um, plus it just, when the rest of your skin is radiant and healthy, overall, you're going to feel like you look better. You're going to present better, which is going to make, of course, your permanent makeup look better. Great. So then the actual aftercare, I've read that you shouldn't be scratching and touching and you need to use the right kind of products on it that otherwise you're going to lose your color and everything. So have you got favorite ingredients that really people should be looking for afterwards? Aftercare is absolutely important. Your healing lasts about a week, so it's not that long. Um, and you have to look at it like you are essentially healing an open wound, right? We are opening the skin to implant pigment. So the most important thing you're wanting to do is keep it clean. That means not touching them with, unless you've washed your hands, not putting makeup or any products on them. I personally send all of my clients home with aftercare, both something to cleanse the brows with and an ointment to apply on top. But there's a lot of really good products out there. One of my favorite ingredients that I like to look for in my aftercare specifically is grapeseed oil. It reacts with the skin really well. It's not a very greasy oil. Everything still breathes through it because we don't want to smother healing skin. We want uh, an ointment or a balm to provide moisture so things don't get overly dry. But if you pile any product on there, even the best product, it's going to be too much and it's going to make the skin kind of soggy, which is going to let the color fall out. So main ingredient most of the time that I look for is grapeseed oil. There's a couple of different things um, that can contribute to things. Like when I do lips, I really like an aftercare product that has a little bit of lysine in it naturally, has a little bit of arnica in it and things to bring down inflammation to make things more soothing. Um, witch hazel with no alcohol is a really good cleanser. Um, but even most people's just regular skin cleanser, it's going to work to clean the brows if the artist doesn't provide one. It has to be something that's not full of active skincare ingredients. Like you're not going to want to go in with an alpha hydroxy retinol cleanser while your skin is healing. <laughs> I've also read that um, makeup can look uneven. Is that all to do with the, if the skin is dehydrated, then if, if people come in, then it makes your job harder. If, um, if they, is, is that what causes uneven, an uneven outcome? 
Um, so it can cause an uneven outcome specifically on lips. If the lips are really dehydrated, you have a layer of this really tough skin that just sometimes the needles just can't get through. And so you can end up with a blotchy end result for lips. I do request that all my clients spend at least a week drinking all their water, using a really good hydrating lip balm. And then the few days before the procedure, just lightly exfoliating the lips because that absolutely will leave you looking uneven. Um, if the skin is very dry, it can also suck up ink specifically in the brows. And so then you will end up patchy in the other way, like where lips would push color out and it wouldn't stay. Brows can suck up all the color if the patches um, are really, really dry there. So I honestly don't find the brows to often be a problem for dryness. Most, you know, I put numbing cream and even just that little bit of moisture from a numbing cream can help to bring the skin back into balance. But definitely just taking care of your skin, having proper moisturization specifically beforehand is going to really help your end result. Definitely. Okay, cool. And the actual colors that are used, are they all from iron oxides and mica? Sure. So there's two different types of pigments you can use. There's organic and inorganic. And inorganic and organic mean totally different things when it comes to pigments than it does when we're talking about like our food, right? So mm -hmm. iron oxides are one way a pigment can be formulated and the other way is carbon-based. So I like inks that typically are carbon-based. They're going to last a little bit longer in your skin. You're going to get much more longevity. And I think the less often you tattoo skin, the better. We want you to be really healthy down the road. But inorganic inks can add a different level of color. Um, they can be really good for clients that are dry because you do get a little bit less retention. And so if you're concerned about skin just sucking everything up and holding too much color, they can be a really good way to go. I like having a little bit of both in my shop so that I can tailor what I'm using for my clients to get the best end result. But overall, I do prefer a more carbon-based line just because you really do get the much better longevity. Like if we're talking eyeliners, if I'm doing a carbon-based eyeliner on a client, they can get 15 or 20 years out of it before it needs touching up. And if I'm using wow. iron oxides, you're looking at maybe two to five before the color really starts to soften. Wow. Big difference that. Yeah. Eyeliner is the only one that really lasts that long. Lips, you're looking at two to five years before you want to touch up, almost regardless of the type of pigment. Um, and the same thing with brows. Most of my clients come around 18 months and one to three years as an average for needing a touch up. Okay, I'm looking at your eyebrows now. So what have you done in your own eyebrows? So I have a powder brow. Um, I started out with microblading because I was new and didn't realize that, you know, I didn't quite have the skin type for microblading. Um, I have thyroid issues, which can cause ink to heal cooler and microblading fundamentally is just going to heal cooler in the skin as a general rule. So my colors got a little bit on the cool side and my strokes didn't say crisp, but they kind of blurred out a little bit. So once I got my first touch up and I was a little bit more educated in what I was doing, I wasn't brand new anymore. Uh, I switched over to a powder brow and I really loved it. I think there's this big misconception that a powder brow has to be very strong. And I often go to a powder brow when I have a client that has some hairs there, but really wants something very soft and natural. Because since you're stippling color in, you have full control over density and saturation. Whereas if you're putting hair strokes, you have to saturate those hair strokes and get the color in there for each stroke in a very, very dense way, which can lead to a darker brow overall. But if I'm just stippling in the tiniest little hint of color all over, I can end up with a really, really soft powder brow. So my powder brow is like, I would say one step above natural. I like a little bit of definition, but not a ton. I don't want anything with hard edges or anything like that. So I, I have a powder brow. I have no hair strokes in my brows. 
Looking at yours now, and what I really like is the fact it actually looks like a normal bra because the ones that are done like geometrics, because nature doesn't do 90 degrees. It just looks fake. But, you know, I think the whole point of doing it is you want to look like they're growing there. You don't want to look like painted on all the time, you know. So they have to go through the whole, is it saline that you use? Yep, I do a saline removal and it's a process. It's very effective. Nobody wants to do that. (laughs) It's like erasing the stuff to then restart again. So it's it's better if you can to get it done natural because presumably once you've got the pigment in, if you want to make them angular for a fancy dress party, you can do whatever on top, can't you? Exactly. You can always add, but it's harder to take away with makeup. (laughs) Okay, that's true. Have you got a superhero in your life that inspires you when you're feeling like you need courage or, you know, you've just opened your new shop? Is there a superhero in your life that you are inspired by? Uh, Right now, my superhero is my husband. (laughs) He has been absolutely instrumental in letting me grow my business as big as I have. And he's almost completely set up my new shop for me. He is my biggest cheerleader and my biggest support and is always kind of pushing me forward and pushing me up and letting me grow and develop everything. You know, he's carried us through the pandemic when I was shut down because I'm in California and I, in 2020, I was open for less than two months. So that was pretty intense. So he stepped up his business, carried us through the whole pandemic. I even went to work with him a little bit because I wasn't working at all. And then once I reopened and everything kind of started exploding with growth, he let his business kind of step back a little bit to open up more time to be able to support me in my growth and to help me out. And um, he's always encouraged. I have a hard time sometimes spending money on myself, even when it's you know for my own business, for my own growth. And he's oh. always there to be like, take that class, go travel to get the best education and always really pushing me to grow myself even better. And I couldn't ask for a, a bigger cheerleader than him. He's my superhero for sure. <laughs> It sounds amazing. (laughs) Wonderful. That's so awesome. Has there been a really funny moment when you've been working that you have an interesting story that you want to tell? Oh, gosh. Um, It's interesting because when you provide beauty services to someone and they're sitting in your chair for hours, you become their confidant, right? People tell you stories that they wouldn't tell anybody else. I mean, I can't think of like anything specific that's (laughs) that's appropriate for the radio show because a couple have just happened and they were cracking me up, but they're definitely uh, not super podcast friendly, (laughs) but that's kind of what I mean though. Like people just open up and I'm a safe person to tell things to. I'm never going to judge anybody. Um, And yes, I just get wild stories that just, it's one of my favorite parts of my job. We laugh a lot, like for, you know, inflicting pain on somebody for two hours, basically. There's so much laughter that happens in my shop and it's it's really great. How do you relax when you're not setting up a new store? Have you got a special routine that you have in the evening or the morning? How do you, as a small business owner? I'm one of those people that like to do way too much all the time. I'm a pretty avid dancer. I'm in like 1.5 belly dance troops. I'm taking a break from one right now while I build this shop. So I'm in a pretty high level performance belly dance troupe here in Sonoma County. And I also lead my own belly dance troupe, <laughs> but I'm either dancing or hiking. We like to spend a lot of time outdoors. My husband and I are both sailors. That's actually what he does professionally. I wanted to ask if you have any advice for people that are thinking about doing it. I read on the NHS website, you know, as one does, it says there, there are some people who have a tendency to get keloid scars. So how would someone know if they had a tendency to get a scarring? 
The thing with keloid scarring is that there are two different types of raised scars in the skin. There's keloid scarring and there's hypertrophic scarring. 90% of the time that someone tells me they have a tendency to keloid, it's actually hypertrophic scarring. And so I'm going to tell you what the difference between the two are because it's very important. It does affect whether or not you can get permanent makeup. Hypertrophic scarring is that type of raised scarring that happens after an injury or a surgery where this thick ropey scarring is definitely like sitting up above the skin. You can see it's got texture, it's got thickness to it. That's not a super big deal for permanent makeup. And that is what most people actually have when they think they have keloid scarring. Keloid scarring is a totally different animal. Keloid scarring actually has its own blood supply and it will continue to grow. So hypertrophic scarring, you can kind of treat it with some vitamin E, some massage, help break it up and it'll soften on its own, where keloid scarring will continue to grow. So where you see keloid scarring sometimes is after like an ear piercing. Have you ever seen that big round ball that people will get around like a cartilage piercing? That's a keloid. It's got a blood supply. It's soft. It doesn't have that like thick ropey scarred appearance. Um, you see them photos of them on ears a lot, like cauliflower ears. And sometimes people will get them over surgical scarring as well. And it'll be rounder. It'll be really shiny. And a doctor has to treat it. So if you keloid, you know, because your doctor has said, you have keloid scarring, we need to do, you know, X, Y, and Z to treat it because they have to cut off the blood supply in order to make it stop growing. So if someone has hypertrophic scarring, and it's like, they have one and it's from a surgical scar, I'm not super worried about it. If they tend to get that thick ropier scarring anytime they injure themselves, they're probably not a good candidate for eyeliner and they're not a good candidate for hair stroke brows. So we can do a very soft powder brow on most of those people. Um, but if someone is prone to keloiding, it's pretty much just a no. I know there's some artists out there that will risk it, but I don't see the benefit. You know, if you're risking giving somebody this endlessly growing keloid scar in the middle of their eyebrow, you're going to make their life a whole lot harder. And even if people understand the risks, if it happens to them, they're still going to blame you for it because there's this, you know, as the practitioner, we should know better. So we should know when to tell a person it's not for them. And if we say, oh, we can probably do it, that means they're putting their trust in you as a professional that they're not going to get a keloid scar. So, so keloid is definitely a problem, but it's way less common than people actually think it is. Okay, that's good. That's good to know. So they can test for that. I'm going to ask you about the pain threshold. Isn't that a common thing that people think it's going to be incredibly sore? So how do people get through that? It's very different for each of the different procedures. Brows are typically a breeze. Um, I personally pre-num all my clients, even though brows are pretty easy to a large extent, I could probably get away with not doing it. There are some artists that don't pre-num brows. Um, A powder brow is going to hurt less than a hair stroke brow. And microblading, an inexperienced microblader is going to give the most pain. I have a very light touch, I have a very light hand, and I have amazing reception. So brows really don't have to hurt on a one to 10 pain scale. I pre-num, the pain scale is typically a one to three for most of my clients after the first pass. And then I put second numbing on once the skin is open, it penetrates deeper. And after that, for brows, I typically have clients falling asleep on my table. There's almost no pain. Wow. It's super, super easy. Eyeliner and wow. lips are a different story. Eyeliner, the machine vibrates and that's how cool. the needle goes in and out. And so having vibration next to your eye can be really difficult for people. So it is more painful than brows, not a ton, but largely it's like just trying to relax 
through that vibration to let me do my work. That's the hardest part for people. Um, and then towards the end of eyeliner, it does get really sore. You know, I do my best to wipe really gently and to wipe as minimally as possible, but mostly it's the rubbing of that really delicate eye skin that makes eyeliner really, really tender. Lips are just tender. I make you as numb as possible, but lips average, I would say my clients are at a four or a five for pain throughout the lip process. Like electrolysis and waxing are both very sharp pain, right? It's sharp, quick pain where this is more like scratchy, sustained pain like excessive rubbing with a pumice stone, like gritty grinding pain. Sometimes I do have hey. the, hair, the hair strokes compared to like the pain of tweezing. It's very different because it's it's sustained over an hour or two hours versus like this mm. quick, sharp, really intense thing. So it's less painful, but for longer. Are there any trends that are, are coming up that you're, you're excited about in the industry? Are you finding more people are moving towards permanent makeup? Yeah, I feel like microblading reopened the door to permanent makeup. You know, I think for a very long time, it was viewed as these old ladies with blue eyebrows, right? (laughs) Because the inks used to be different. The techniques used to be different. It was very blocky. It was very heavy. So people, especially the younger generation of people, really closed the door on it. Like nobody was getting it unless you were 50 and up. And microblading came about. And even though it's not good for everybody, it showed people that permanent makeup can look really different than how it used to. And that evolved into all these new, beautiful nanobrow techniques, which is the machine hair strokes. And the hyperrealism that you can get with those types of brows is just incredible. And now we're at a point that permanent makeup is so good, you don't look at somebody and know that they have permanent makeup. And that's always my Mm. goal, right? If someone's like, oh, I've never seen Mm. good permanent makeup. I'm like, that's the point. That's the point is you don't know that they had it on. We see people coming in that are not knowledgeable with the words nano brows, with the words lip blushing or aquarelle lips, because the trends have just started to expand and people are really interested in exploring these new options. And so I love that. You know, there was definitely my first few years I was doing it. it the only word I would ever hear was microblading. Everybody was like microblading, microblading, microblading. And now clients are just getting, they're educating themselves better and seeing what their options are. And I do really love that. That's really exciting because it's, it gives opportunities for people to get really good at it. It's like an artistry level rather than just a basic starting off. And from That's, the technician yeah. end of it, one of the things, the trends that I'm seeing that I really appreciate, um, and it came about in a bad way, after people were seeing so many bad microblading classes, you know, so many artists coming out of their two-day class like me, when they first start and just realizing how unprepared they actually are, there's this trend towards seeking out better education from the start. So it's no longer who's in my town that's teaching this. It's when can I fly to Texas? When can I fly to Miami? When can I fly to the UK to learn under this pro teacher that's been doing this for 25 years? It's really a focus on quality education and investing in yourself so that you can do better. That's super. And so so your signature style will be making things look really natural. Yep. I want to be able, be able to have anyone come into my shop and leave super undetectably natural or like they have this perfect application of brow powder and they're ready to go. You know, I want mm. to be able to do both ends of the spectrum is super important. Exactly. Giving people options. And oh, that's wonderful. Well, have you got any other tip? Um, when you book an appointment, book based on artistry, not price. There is a lot of artists out there that are going to offer specials when they're new. Um, and when you're tattooing your face, price shouldn't be your determining factor. And if that means you have to save for three more months before you can go and get your permanent makeup, do that. I have so many clients that I do removal on because they 
bought the Groupon for their permanent makeup or they went to a friend that was just learning and the amount that they're paying to get the brows where they want to be is so much more than if they would have just invested up front. And it's a huge time commitment. So it is worth it to wait, get the permanent makeup you want versus the permanent makeup that you can afford right now. My second thing is read pre and post care. Um, it's one of the hardest things to get clients to do. And it is so, so important for the end result. One of the things I didn't say earlier with skincare is that retinols will absolutely affect the results of your permanent makeup. And if you can even get them at all, it's a super common skincare ingredient. And most people are going to list it as something that needs to be discussed on their pre-care. So make sure you read what your artist wants you to do for pre-care. You can't come in with contacts on if you're going to be getting your eyeliner tattooed. If you're a prescription strength retinol user, you're probably going to have to be off of it for six months. And just right. omitting that information from your artist is going to mean that you end up bleeding a lot and with ugly gray eyebrows. So listen to what they have to say. Follow their pre and post care. They know what they're doing. If you hire someone based on their work, trust their work and trust their experience. That's great advice. No, thank you very much. Oh, I've just seen one more question. I, I read somewhere that caffeine and alcohol can affect the color. Wow, how does that work? So that's debatable. And everyone that you ask is going to give you a different answer. I don't personally think it affects the color, but it is very, very good to abstain from both for two different reasons. Alcohol is going to make you bleed. Um, I don't care if you've had a drink the night before, but if you come over still hung over because you partied all night, you're going to bleed on me and most of your color isn't going to stay. It does have the possibility of going ashy, what does stay, but mostly you're just going to bleed and that's going to push all the ink out as fast as I'm trying to push it in. So avoiding alcohol is really good for that because it's a blood thinner. Same thing with like, you know, aspirin, ibuprofen, painkillers that are blood thinners, same end result. It's just problematic that way. Caffeine, you're just going to make your experience worse for yourself. Caffeine wakes you up, right? It awakes your nerves, it awakes everything, and it awakes your pain sensors. And so when you're going in to do something, you want to be relaxed, which is the opposite of what caffeine does for you, and you want to experience as little pain as possible. So I don't suggest heavy caffeine drinkers not have anything at all, because sometimes the caffeine headache is just going to create an opposite problem. But I do tell my clients to minimize their coffee. So a cup of coffee in the morning, if you have to have it so you don't get a headache, great. Please do that so that you can come in and be comfortable. But having a triple latte as you're walking through my door so that you're ready to go run a marathon instead of laying there to get your brows done, you're just going to make yourself have a bad experience and you're not going to enjoy it as much. Wow. Those are two great tips to have. And you want to make your experience as pleasant as possible. So absolutely. Especially because most people come in and they're nervous. You know, you're getting a tattoo on your face. You don't want to set yourself up for more nerves. Exactly. (laughs) You know, just, oh, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and it's really really helpful information and you know I think there's a lot of women in menopause who are finding that the eyebrows are gone from the days of when you're like plucking to get them smaller now they're like those ends just start to fade away (laughs) I know (laughs) so thank you so much for coming onto the show and I'm going to put some links below with with where people can get hold of you because you're in California yes I'm in Sonoma Um, County in California Wonderful. And I wish you all the best in your new store. It sounds absolutely fabulous. I look forward to seeing more great pictures from you. So Thank you so much, Winnie. And thank you for having me on. This has been great. Awesome. Bye, Treya. Bye-bye.